Here's a gross Pixar theory for you. Linguini and Remy had a baby, and it's Ian. We're talking Onward on today's... We're not affiliated with Netflix. Welcome to Kidflix, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and be unique by having two living parents. This is a very special episode. This is the first um, in-person record that I've done of this podcast since February of 2020. So uh, if it feels different, that's what the energy is. We're not being bogged down by uh, Zoom's terrible streaming quality. But speaking of quality... We have I have two quality guests here today, and uh, I think they might be the first um, set of parents that I've had on the podcast, so I'm very excited for that. But please give it up for Catherine Williams and Stephen Leventhal. Yay! I, I don't know why I called you Stephen. I, I like accidentally okay. went very formal. <laughs> it's like I'm already in trouble. <laughs> Steve Leventhal, sir. Um, but <laughs> Attached yeah. middle name. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on, inviting me into your home. Um but yeah, so we're we're talking about onward today, and um, I what kind of uh, helped you choose this movie? What kind of was going through your head when you were deciding on something? You want to go first? I think it was, to be honest, I think it was a rainy day, and we were trying to figure out a way to entertain our daughter, and we were sort of just scrolling through apple tv i guess and landed on it and we asked her like does this look good and she said yes and then we ended up watching it <laughs> and that was it i think i saw some billboards on it though too and it was like it was definitely on the radar and it was a true pandemic movie so well, yeah well this is on it's funny that you mentioned that this is like the movie that i um will probably associate with the pandemic forever because so um, this movie, it was released on March 6th, 2020. Oh, wow. And my birthday is on the 3rd, and I was thinking like, oh, it'll be a fun little birthday treat. I'll, I have a day off of work. I'll go watch that movie. And then I thought, eh, maybe next week. And then uh, never mind next week, because that's when the entire world shut down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, but like it's, it, this is, I think, the only Pixar movie to not turn a profit just because of that. But still, like... I think it ended up being the 10th highest grossing movie of 2020 for obvious reasons. Um, so like wh- how, how was your pandemic? So you have a young child, you're, you know, you two or yourselves. <laughs> how has that been, uh, you know, just with distracting yourself with TV? Cause I know at least I was doing that a lot. Yeah. I, I look at the pandemic as many different levels of, of how it went. I think in the beginning it was, it was all like terrifying for, the beginning, middle, of course, probably the majority of it. But, you know, there was times where she was in school, then she's out of school. And then we're doing a lot of crafts to get through the day. And then we have seeing a lot of craft projects around crafts. So much. I mean, two full carts of just craft crap. I mean, just so, so many pipe cleaners. I I definitely stay tuned for the after show because we're (laughs) going to make some uh, pipe cleaners wrapped around pens. It's going to be pretty epic. Yeah. I can make you a snake out of anything. (laughs) (laughs) But so so this was just something that you stumbled on because it was like a big deal too because Disney was like, you know what? For you guys at home, we're just going to add Onward to uh, Disney Plus. Or was this kind of like like the other day you just finally stumbled onto it? Yeah, I think I think we kind of like half stumbled onto it. And we were just full on committed because when we do like what we call 
we call it a movie night, even though it's completely in the day and we make it all dark and we make popcorn. So we make it like a very special thing for our daughter where like she feels like she's in a movie theater, of course, because we can't be in a movie theater um, pandemic. But um, we try to make it like extra like, oh, we're doing this thing. It's a movie. It's not like a normal watching TV experience. That's great. So how, how do you two navigate like deciding on what to watch with your daughter? Is there is there a mechanism or you're just like, I mean, we the two of us want to watch it like as long as there's not like gratuitous violence. Well, I do think we both uh, and I say we both Steve and I both enjoy Pixar movies by and large. So when a new one comes out, like we watched Soul the day it was released, you know, and it was amazing. And then we watched it again without her. At least I did. So I think I think we we definitely lean towards Pixar. Yeah. But if we're desperate, we'll do a quick scroll through Netflix or Disney or whatever. Just be like, just pick something, just anything. Can you just <laughs> anything? I don't care. And she'll she'll tell us what she wants to watch. Has she gone through like any terrible phases? Because like, for instance, uh, in terms of movies, because when I was a kid, um, I rented Quirky Romano on VHS and I watched it maybe four times before my parents like physically moved the tape to an out of reach shelf. <laughs> Hopefully nothing as gratuitous as Corky Romano. I mean, I would say the only thing she's ever really watched that I'm still not sure, like, and she's only watched about 10 minutes of it, and she talks about it all the time, is Ant-Man. Okay. The one with Paul Rudd. Yeah. And I didn't really think much about it. I don't even know what it's rated, but it's like, you know, it's not animated, and it might be PG. I don't know anything about it, but just she literally watched 10 minutes of it without me really knowing what she's watching. And every week she talks about like, can she continue <laughs> to watch it? So, well, I, I will say I, I did watch Ant-Man a little while ago. Cause yeah, I was reaching that part of the pandemic where I was like, I have to at least like watch the things that I saved on my list months ago. <laughs> and it's like, good. It's, yeah. it's like n- not nothing, but it's just like, it doesn't matter. It's not like the whole, you know, Avengers thing of just like, Oh my God, we have to save the world. It's just like, Paul Rudd getting small and big. Is is it a, is there anything inappropriate? Are there like um nothing any... really? Well, Paul Rudd does have sex with an ant a bunch of times. <laughs> but other than that, he has sex with an ant. <laughs> is it like a mature ant though, or oh, is yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The the ant right. uh, shows ID to the camera, so we're all like, okay, proceed. As, as long will. as it's like love making and there's nothing like out of bounds. Oh, you oh know? He, it's very it's very tasteful. Okay, tasteful. <laughs> I got you. All right. Well, then we'll give it a shot. <laughs> Woo, and person records are back. All right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, also, so like this movie also touches on, uh, you know, like fantasy stuff in D&D. Is that, is that on, in either of your purview? You don't peg me as like like gamers, like Dungeon and Dragons No, people. definitely, no. definitely not me. No way. That, that part was probably the least inter- interesting to me. As much as I loved the Barley character and mm. like his obsession with all things fantasy and magical and like his desire to sort of like reclaim the magic of the past. Like I, I loved that about him, but the actual like D and D element, I was like, eh. but you know what though? You know what? It's funny you say that because when I was a kid, I think I used to look at Dungeons and Dragons as like the real nerdy and the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. But now as an adult, I don't really see much different with that than people are with this like fantasy football or fantasy mm-hmm. sports, it's kind of all the same thing. Well, and especially with like Stranger Things and stuff and all of this different, um, you know, like retro stuff where it's like D&D seems to be popular now. Like I've played a few rounds with my friends and it's too hard for me. Like I've, I just cannot focus on 
like the slow moving thing of like, okay, now we're all going to move into this tavern and like pretend to talk to people for three hours, like all the power to you. And also like the three of us know so many improv people and are improv people <laughs> to a certain extent, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah. And like, I mean, D and D is just there. Like, I feel like there's there before the pandemic, there were a lot of posts of like, Hey, anybody want to do a pickup game? And, uh, those po- posts were silent. <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> no comments on them. Um, but I mean, hey, you, since you brought up the movie, like we might as well get into the movie. So, for those of you who aren't aware of it, which like give it a watch if you if you haven't li- watched it yet. But um, these two brothers, um, Ian and Barley, um, their dad died when they were young. Um, Ian wasn't born yet. Barley, I think, was like a toddler or uh, a young as you would call it. <laughs> then um, they grow up, like Catherine was saying, in this kind of D&D fantasy style world, but the magic is gone. It's like the, all these elves and stuff discovered electricity and they were like, oh, that's better and easier. And they kind of got complacent. And so it takes place in this halfway world. And so um, yada, 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 there's a magic spell that can bring their dead father back to life and uh, it works halfway and so they walk around with, um, you know, just legs. And that's basically the movie. Um, hmm? The end. Podcast yeah. over. Um, <laughs> so, like, what, what was kind of resonating with you uh, about this? Because for me, like, um, and you two both are Pixar people, that this one, I think, especially in the newer Pixar movies, kind of feel like a paint-by-numbers, like, at least for me, you could I could really feel like, okay, here's the part with the parent, here's the part where they go on an adventure, here's the part where they get lost. And it's well done, but like, I don't know, I'm hoping, uh, especially after Soul came out, that we're kind of entering a new wave of like subversive Pixar movies that are just like not trying to, you know, make you cry as much because this one really is like poking at you. So it yeah. felt really formulaic to you. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And like not in a bad way, especially I watched this when they put it on Disney Plus in May of 2020. So like I was ready to just like sit there and feel something. I don't know if you two kind of felt that way about it. Well, I, you know, I think that most of the Pixar movies, a lot of Disney movies, I mean, there's it's an old cliche as far as like having, you know, whether, you know, a, a father or mother who, who have passed in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if they've really attacked the sibling angle at all, but I kind of like that aspect of it where a lot of these movies have different types of families, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, you know, um, you know, without a mother, without a father or grandmother raising. And I kind of like that because I mean, of course that's the world we live in where, you know, kids are raised different ways. Um, but also, too, that gets very sad as well. So <laughs> it's, very it's, it's very interesting how they're able to, you know, sometimes make these horrific topics, um, I guess, more comfortable for kids or, I don't know, I don't want to say relatable. But... No, that's a good way of putting it, though. Like, because I, I guess, I, yeah, I'm not coming at it from, a, you know, a parent standpoint. I'm just like, oh, it's the same stuff as always. But that is true that, like, um, if it's kind of showing up in pop culture a lot more it kind of demystifies it like a kind of how the the little line from the cop about how she has a girlfriend uh, apparently that was improvised but that just you're right that like little things being woven in like that can kind of make it more natural and like yeah and it also kind of fits in I guess with this whole fantasy thing of like loss and seeking out 
redemption almost for that. I also liked what felt different to me about Onward is that as opposed to like a Finding Nemo, which I have a lot of beefs with separate Whoa. issue. <laughs> yes. We're going to come back to that in yes. a second. I'm curious. But I appreciate that the father has already been gone for some time. Like he gets, Ian gets the gifts on his 16th birthday. So the father has been gone for some time. So the, the issue is really the absence of the father and not the immediate loss. Mm. And something about that really appealed to me that he still had all these unanswered questions that you know as a teenager as opposed to I'm immediately grieving in this moment and need to go through my life I kind of appreciated them coming at it that way so that the character was the absence until you actually meet the dad even if it is just you know part of his body and I mean he's got great legs also (laughs) but like no but that's that's also true god Boy, I forgot what it's like to like talk to people and then like have a have like different opinions formed. But that's that's true because it's and also like you see that the family is like functioning and like happy enough. Like the the big conflict at the beginning is like um their mom has a boyfriend that they don't super like, but like they're functioning and happy enough. And uh I'm sure that, that is more meaningful than like okay, we're going to watch this parent die again in the rain or whatever like in lion king right and i guess is that part of your beef with finding nemo at the beginning you just like see everybody die well yes so there's it's it's twofold right so you just see poor poor nemo go through all these obstacles like his entire family all of his siblings his mother gets killed off he just tries to like you know, stretch the boundaries from his overprotective single father dad, right? So he swims too far up, he gets taken on, you know, he gets lost. I mean, he has a fucked up flipper. I mean, it's just one thing after, then he nearly gets flushed and he's in this dirty aquarium and it's it's very upsetting. Like, I really don't like that movie at all, at all. And I I have gotten into fights with people about it because I'm just like, how can you watch this poor little fish just get tortured for for like two hours like how is how is that a good movie i don't know i'm triggered i'm triggered you're 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 in a safe place you're literally in your own home um it not to uh make things awkward but currently finding nemo is the highest rated movie that we've reviewed on this podcast so help me i can't i can't look i mean look i i'm obviously biased towards it i think it came out like I was at the perfect age for it. So like, I just saw all the stuff happening to Nemo. like, Oh, that sucks. But also then like, um, the, the, uh, fish with multiple personalities, even though now saying that out loud, I'm like, why did you like that? (laughs) But you know what? Maybe, maybe we're due for a revisit there, but it's also, I guess like, um, with finding Nemo, the, um, the dad Merlin, his journey is like really long and like frustrating Mm -hmm. to watch too. Cause he's like, like nobody likes a super overprotective parent and like it's not even justified after a certain point he's just like angry and then he's rude to whatever dory is yeah you two are hitting on something with the whole just the structure and how it feels a little bit different um because uh so the director dan uh scanlon who also did monsters university um this story was pretty directly lifted from his own life so his um father died when he was a year old and he wrote the screenplay after he found an audio clip of his dad that he had never heard before and it was going to be this whole thing with like scientists like trying to build a machine or something that can bring back the dead and you know rewrite after rewrite after rewrite it kind of landed on this instead 
Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what the audio clip was. Was it just like a voicemail or something like that? I th- I'm pretty sure it was just something kind of like innocuous. But you know, if you'd never really heard your dad's voice, even if you're you know you didn't really even know him, you're just like, okay, now I want to learn more. And um, you know, if we're still talking about the subversiveness of this movie, I still think it's really interesting that just how the moral kind of shapes itself and how it becomes this story of like how siblings can really be like that missing piece in somebody's relationship with their parents. Cause like it also kind of talks about found families in a certain way where it's just like the person that you're looking for has been right in front of you the whole time. And you know, you don't, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, a parental figure to be that person that you connect with. Um, I don't, do you, do either of you have like siblings that have, that you have that like her burly, barley like bond with? had to go through like three different iterations to remember what his name was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, def- I definitely think I do. I mean, I think, you know, I have uh, two brothers and a sister. So um, I think at different phases of life, there's been different things that we've had in common, different things we've shared, um, you know, at different times where you're closer than others. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, th- I think I I've definitely share a part of that, you know, without the magical mystery part of it. Oh, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't find like a spell on a magical jam. No, 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 yeah. uh-uh, no, outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, we just didn't, we didn't have all that, you know? Yeah, that, that was weird. Biden's inaugural address. He kept talking about the gym. <laughs> the gym. Yeah, we got to get the gym. We got to bring back all the people that died from COVID. Um, <laughs> so my, um, my, my older sister and I have a, I'd say somewhat a, a barley-ish relationship. Um, my mom died when I was 14 and so my sister, while not really a mother figure per se, being six years older than me, has always been my go-to for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything from high school to getting engaged, planning a wedding, getting pregnant, having a baby, you know, all the typical life stuff. So that that definitely resonated with me, that relationship. Yeah. And, and I'm also curious, like, what, what was your daughter's reaction to it? Because, like, we're talking about all these different kind of deeper meanings, like, I... I'm sure you you raise a smart kid, not saying anything there. But, you know, like, what what does she kind of take out of a movie like this, do you think? Well, I mean, I think her being four when she saw it, I, I, I just don't think, like, death really resonates. I mean, she, she says the word death, you know. Um, I was the exact same way at her age. I was, I drew probably the most horrific drawings not knowing the context for it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she, I mean, she, we see Coco. I mean, and that, that movie's all about death, but I don't really yeah. think, I mean, probably when you see Coco and, and you see death, you probably think, oh, you just go somewhere else, you know, which for all we know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I mean, I mean that's I mean, her watching, version. Watching Coco, I, it was very soon, I, I believe, after I had had a loss in my life. And I was like, oh, I can I can be good with this version of the afterlife. Like, yeah, Pixar is great at depictions of of like death. the scariest things ever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how they that's how they get away with it. I mean, they just have a magical way of making horrific things seem OK in almost mm-hmm. every movie. Um, not to change the subject, but please a lot of, you know, with Catherine's beefs with, with these movies is the dead parent, you know, cause she, she has that as part of her life, but you, you've got to tell the story of the, 
that movie we we love with the scene with all the princesses. <gasps> yes. If you haven't seen oh, it, are you talking you about Ralph, Ralph breaks, breaks the, the internet? Because <gasps> it's probably the most magical scene I think of for an adult to see. Because a kid won't appreciate it, but it's the it sums up everything in the best way possible. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen Ralph breaks the internet, I don't think it's an amazing movie. But one of the best scenes I've ever seen in any children's movie is like a dozen Disney princesses. Like all of them, Moana, Cinderella, um, the redhead from Brave, they're all just sitting around with, uh, is it Penelope? Penelope. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she convinces them to just go in their like relaxing clothes. Yeah. And like they all start out. wearing t-shirts that somehow Cinderella's mice created on the fly. <laughs> And they tell her to, if she needs her steering wheel, she just needs to find a magical pool of water and sing into it and it'll come. And and they they all start like picking at her issues. Like, well, why aren't you a princess? And, and, you know, do you, do you have an evil stepmother? And she goes, I don't even have a father. And in, in unison, all the princes, princesses say, neither do we. <laughs> and it's just, I'm not doing it justice. But if you can find that scene, at least on YouTube, I, I highly amazing. encourage you. Yeah, I... I saw that movie by myself in a theater because I was like, I can't ask anybody to go see this with me. And honestly, like the movie was fine, but that scene in particular was just so great. And apparently, um, I just learned this the other day, that that scene like broke ground, not just because it's all the princesses together, but there apparently was a rule. There might still be a rule with uh, Disney merchandising where it's like all of the princesses have like the poses that they can do and like the outfits that they can wear and so like they were able to break that like the big oh yeah the big thing was that like when they're on like a poster together and it's like the disney princesses apparently they're not supposed to make eye contact with each other because they're like in their different worlds and so this was the first time that they all like actually interacted with each other directly that's amazing and also what a what a nitpicky rule right for disney (laughs) Like, it's all about synergy now. Just, like, get everybody in the pot stirring. Wow. But uh, but I also feel like I've been talking a lot. Like, it, what kind of part uh, of Onward stuck out to you? Like, I know we've kind of done a very brief overview. Like, you see uh, Octavia Spencer as the ma- uh, manticore. You have Julia Louis-Dreyfus as the mom. I do not remember her name. Just, I think her name is Mom. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I will say this... The the cast is small but really solid throughout. Oh yeah, I think one of the things I liked the most is that Barley never seemed jealous of Ian's power. You know, because oh, Barley yeah. was the one who was like all about magic and D and D and and all these things, and Ian, lo and behold, is the wizard of the family. And Barley was his biggest champion, as he has been. You know, clearly we learned throughout their mm-hmm. relationship. And I, I just loved that. That like, no matter what, he's like, nope, you're you're the wizard. You're gonna get us through this, and I'm gonna help us get there. But yeah, like they finally have almost like a direct language with each other of like, okay, we can bond over this. Like when your sibling is just like, we're gonna do this thing now, and you go, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and Barley never seemed to have like any friends of his own, really, and he never seemed to care about it. Yeah, he's very, like one of those characters that's very just sure of himself. Like, this is what I'm into and these are my passions and great. Like, because obviously Ian's whole thing is like he's he just turned 16. So he's kind of in that awkward teenage phase. But Barley, I confused about like what his life deal is, but he's just like 
totally comfortable just running his own games and just like living in this world. But he has enough of a level of self-awareness that he like knows who he is. Yeah. Which I think is great. It's just him and what his Van Guinevere and his game. It, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say d- during the scene where they're out of gas and they're in like the, the bad part, I guess of this uh, fantasy town, I legitimately was very stressed when they were interacting with the pixies and having to escape from them. Like, I knew they were going to be fine because I've seen movies like this so many times. But I was like, oh, you guys really fucked up this time, didn't you? <laughs> but yeah, oh, what about you, Steve? Was there any part that really stood out for you? Um, you know, I, I love the list he makes. Um, you know, the, uh, the list Ian makes of the things he wants to, like, accomplish. And I thought that was a pretty good, you know part of the movie where he had that just the checklist of what was it like the laughing uncontrollably and yeah the like, um, dancing and or, right. learning how oh, to drive learning how to drive and all that stuff i thought it was a you know it's just a cool thing. i mean what kind of 16 year old makes a list like that though but i mean i mean really cool he was ahead of uh, maybe he was <laughs> a, he was ahead of his time you know but um i think when i was 16 i i definitely wasn't making lists i think i was you know just trying what to are you doing steve just, just continually just trying to have sex <laughs> that's it that's really it there was there was just maybe a list of just can i have sex and that was it <laughs> that was your checklist that was my checklist i just woke up and that was my accomplishment for the day and i'm getting a sense that you didn't check that list that much <laughs> well i don't does anybody really check it as much as they want <laughs> well yeah i was a theater kid so like that wasn't even on my list it was just like memorize sondheim or something <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much my thing. We're, we seem to be reaching a natural conclusion. So I guess like um, really the last thing is just, first of all, if either of you have any last thoughts or things that we haven't covered, um, like feel free to bring them up. Otherwise, like we can get to uh, rating this thing. Did you have anything? Because I know you have your physical list. Like uh, it's beautiful when uh, people bring physical lists. It's, it's like a bygone uh, skill from an era. Well, I had I had a question and a thought. So one thing is, I know we talked about the writer's um, loss. Do mm-hmm. we really know in Onward how the dad died? Because if he had the the like the foresight to leave a gift for his child when he turned sixteen, do we know if it was an illness or? Yeah, it. I I believe it was a generic illness. I think the director's dad uh, died of cancer or something similar to oh, that. Okay. So I think. Uh, if there's like a, a magical version of that, that's probably what um, okay. the character had. And then I read a quote um, in the Guardian with, or uh, from the Guardian with, I think is the writer Scanlon, the last name Scanlon. Yeah, um, that's the director. The director, and I, I guess, co-writer. So I liked this a lot. He says the need to know a parent is often to get a roadmap for yourself to know who you could be or can be. So when you think about onward in that context and sort of Ian's you know, overwhelming desire to connect with his father for probably the first and only time in his life. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. And and, well, I guess that that really adds to kind of the moral or the ending that we were talking about that the, so the, you know, the whole quest is that Ian wants to complete this spell because he only got halfway so that he can meet his dad for the first time, essentially. And at the end, when he realizes that Barley has been the father figure for him, um, he finishes the spell, but then he's like, Barley, like, 
say like say goodbye to uh, dad because uh, Barley kind of like was too uh, nervous and overwhelmed in the hospital to like give a proper goodbye, and like that. I think that that's like the whole shot of the movie is just like watching them from afar, like. As an audience member, you can't really see or hear what they're saying, but you just like see them embrace in the sunset, and then uh, he fades away. The dad does. Um, also, there's a Jewish golem in the movie, which is exciting. I just remembered that's like the whole scene is like they're fighting off a golem while Barley and the dad are saying goodbye to each other. Hold on, what's a golem? Yeah, I don't know about this. Okay, so a golem. And I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll slip in a quick little Jewish uh, lesson in here. So a golem uh, is like. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, uh, barley mitzvah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so a, a golem, it's like one of the only like Jewish folklore characters and it's like a being made of like mud and inanimate objects and like kind of like a mix between like a zombie and Frankenstein's monster. So just kind of like causing havoc, like, like if the, the Hulk was made of mud. Interesting. There's an episode of the X-Files about it. So like that. So the dragon at the end? Yeah, well, or no, the dragon-like like, thing. There's the dragon-like thing, but the like how the the school kind of like comes alive. Oh, okay. That's that's more of the the golem thing. <laughs> but wow, has what? there been any other movies where the whole concept of brings back somebody who had died for like that like type of time period? Where like there's had there had to be there's tons, got right? To be. Um, well, that. Oh my god! But I not know that there is. Not I cannot animated, think off the top of my head. It's just a crazy concept, though. You know, just bringing back somebody for you know, AI. The AI. whole ending with AI is that he can bring the mom back once for twenty-four hours. That's right. Oh, I forgot I all. That oh, that is. I remember that being a very sad movie. Oh, it's extremely sad. Oh like, my gosh! The movie ends like three different times because you see him like waiting in the at the bottom of the ocean for his wish to come true. Then thousands of years pass by and aliens are like, hey, um, we can do this for you. And then the movie ends again with like him cradling his mom, knowing that like the time is about to be up. Oh, oh wow. Is that Haley Joel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm just barely remembering that now. God, okay. I, I watched that when I was in like high school and I was just like, what is happening? This is a wild night. Because also Drew Law is like a <laughs> sex robot. This is a wild night. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What He's, about a sex robot? Jude Law is a sex robot. Oh, He's like, that's I, right. I perform every woman's deepest desires. I remember that now. Like yeah. you're, ta- you're talking to a child robot. Just say, put it out there. I Jude. feel like it's a recurring theme that may have started with maybe like an Edgar Allan Poe story. Which one was it where... Do either of you... With sex robots? The, no. Oh, gosh. This is oh. taking a strange turn. I feel like it... I mean, not to be crass, but Philip K. Dick... <laughs> I haven't read as much Philip K. Dick as I've read Edgar Allan Poe. But. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like sex robots are all over the place. Well, I guess what I was getting back to sure. is this idea of bringing <laughs> someone back from the dead who you oh, long for, yeah. and it often going awry somehow. It goes, yeah, it goes sideways. Yeah. That sounds Poe because, like, that's I feel like Shakespeare wouldn't. That's not really his thing. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. If you can think of one, uh, tweet at us. Uh, <laughs> but but now's the part of the podcast where we rate everything on a scale of zero to five. Um, you know, uh, we can be as specific with like the decimal places and numbers as you want. But um, uh, Catherine, let's start with you. What what would you give uh, onward? I think I'd give it a solid. 
I'm waffling between 3.75 and 4. 5 being the best, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd say between 3.75 and 4 for sure. All right. Just because I feel like I, I do agree with you in that it was kind of formulaic. You sort of saw the the mile markers along the way. Yeah. But that said, it was still like extremely enjoyable, very satisfying ending, fun to watch, fun cast, enjoyable for children and their parents or other adults. Totally. Uh, what about you, Steve? What do you I'd think? I'd give of? it a yeah, th- very similar to like a three point five. Great, and then I I I'm honestly thinking I'm like right behind you, uh, uh, Catherine. I'm thinking like three point six five because like it's um, like because part of my thinking was um, I was on. Uh, I think you guys are friends with them, uh, Dan Getz and uh, Dave Premiano. They have a podcast called Rank Bank. And uh, we ranked all of the Pixar movies and I rated this like 15th, but like, you know, ranking Pixar, it's like hard because they're even the worst one. There's like something there. Um, But I I don't know. I guess like 3.65 kind of feels like fair. Uh, And then crunching the numbers, our scores averaged together. We basically got there. Uh, We're giving... uh, Onward, a score of three point five six 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 seven, which future Ross will uh, tell you what that lands in our scale because I forgot to bring my laptop with me. Yeah, totally happy to help Ross. Um, so onward, like you said, it got a score of three point six five six seven. So like you know, uh, two thirds, and that puts it right in between Inside Out and Beetlejuice. So that kind of feels right. Like Inside Out, I think is slightly better than this, but it has that good fun that Beetlejuice has. So back to you. Thanks, Ross. Um, (laughs) And speaking of thanks, thank you both for inviting me in your home and letting me uh, and coming on the podcast. Is there um, anything that you want to promote or point people towards? Hmm. Nothing really comes to mind. I mean, we're just, both of us are starting to get back into uh, stand-up after a long pandemic, and it, it feels awesome. Um, to perform again and, and really write jokes in a better environment. So, um, no, nothing to promote yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah, your daughter doesn't uh, particularly care about your stand-up. Like, <laughs> honey, listen to this for a bit. Yeah, she doesn't care at all, no. But she did, like, semi-watch us perform last week at um, the we, porch. Yeah, did, we did West Philly Porch Fest. Porch Fest. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So very family-friendly situation. And Layla came on stage with me, and it was very awkward. Just stared out, and then she yeah. just stared, and that was it. So. And she probably killed. Well, I don't know. I think she's, like, learning enough to not get involved with us oh. at a young age. Ooh, so. you got a smart kid on your Yeah, hands. she's a smart kid. She's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> she's like, let's go eat clay. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, and I, I don't have anything right now, but, you know, rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. It'll help us. And, you know, follow us on uh, social media. But that is all for today. We will hear you in a fortnight. And go, go, Gadget, and show.